Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Picararo and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Megan. And I'm Tim. And we're glad you can join us as you're living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So, Tim, this is episode 47. It is 47. Which is a great prime number. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're back to prime. It all goes back to prime somehow. It all does. It's, like prime. it's not prime rib either. No. Just prime. Just prime prime rib. Prime rib even with a salad, which would make you happy. Yeah. You'd love that salad part. Yeah. Well, and the prime rib would have to be cooked appropriately. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's like two times we talked about food because the last one, yeah. the question you asked me was about food, like if I could right. eat one. Right. Could you imagine like a good lamb in salad? It'd <laughs> <laughs> be amazing. It would be delicious. I know. So hey, did you um did you shoot off any firecrackers? Um, no. I think that my kids have you uh, ever have you ever been oh, a yeah. firecracker person? Yeah, fireworks? I mean I've yeah, I've shut off. How much fireworks money? What's before? the most money you've ever spent on fireworks? Me personally? Yeah, you. I don't think I've ever personally bought fireworks. So you're just the lighter person. Yeah. I mean, I'll be with a group of people who shot off fireworks. All right. But I've never been the purchaser. I've just been a participant. So do you ever get aggressive with that lighter? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have a healthy fear of fireworks. Okay. So here's an unhealthy fear. Because I like my eyebrows. Yeah, because you need them. (laughs) Everybody needs eyebrows. If you have them eyelashes and they grow eyelashes or (laughs) any kind of features that you don't want to harm yourself with, it's it is good to respect Mm -hmm. the explosiveness (laughs) of something that is explosive. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So so we had an unhealthy fear. (laughs) Uh, which was none of fireworks when we were kids. So (laughs) what we would do in Connecticut when we were little, and my brother Pete, he has some, um, I think he has some pyro, uh, pyromaniac in his, Mm. in his DNA. Yeah. He likes fire. Yeah. He would burn things. (laughs) And I mean, so I'll say this for another episode, but he, um, yeah, so Pete likes to light things. Okay. So he got a lighter from one of my uncles who, um, you know, was um, pretty uh, active with a lighter mm-hmm. with different things he liked to inhale. <laughs> and <laughs> so he got like one of the in, lighters. Like incense? It, yeah, it was incense. He yeah. burned incense. Yeah. That's what it was for. Okay. So he never inhaled anything. It I was thought just, it was probably incense. Just incense. Just the fragrance of candles and yeah. incense, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets this lighter. And it was one of those Zippos. Like, oh, yeah. I had so one of those. that was just cool all by itself. Yeah. Because my brother learned how to flip it with your hand and then slide, slide it right across your leg and light it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a hold of bottle rockets. <laughs> I don't even know where we got them from. Okay. <laughs> so he probably borrowed them. and so we had this little street it was narrow it was in norwich connecticut and it was this little tiny street called division street and so i mean you know if you have cars going you know they're parked on the right side and left side of the road going two different directions and there's no really any two cars can't pass down this road Mm -hmm. so my brother Pete um decides hey and this is when you had real Coke bottles, like a Coke, you know, Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. And we used to collect bottles and cans and take them to the grocery store and trade them in. Mm-hmm. And so my brother Pete got this Coke bottle, stuck stuck, stuck it in there. And so he decided, hey, instead of just putting a bottle down on the ground and shoot up in the air, why don't we aim at places? So we're in the street. Pete sticks the thing mm-hmm. in there and he lights it. He does a cool little zip up thing. You know, mm-hmm. and he's and it's like. So he's holding the bottle oh, and gosh. he decides to aim it. And it goes down the road and it goes up the tailpipe of this guy that had a TR6, a Triumph TR6, <laughs> went into the tailpipe. That's not and good. And it never went off, though. So the whole thing is, to this day, for all we know, that bottle rocket is still in that car. Hanging out in there. It's inside that. Well, obviously, the older I got, and I started thinking, you know, anytime I right. rewind that story, mm-hmm. that could have been really not good. Yeah. Could have been bad. Yeah, it could have been bad. So, so I don't, just so you know, I don't. It wasn't bad. It didn't blow up. Good. 
It didn't, which yeah. would have been bad, but because we've been known to burn things um, accidentally when we were little. So <laughs> I don't like fireworks anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, and see, I I think they're really cool. I remember as a kid, like the really big ones that like they flash and they make the really loud noise. My cousin and I, we, my cousin Sean and I, we were inseparable. He's two years younger than me. We did everything together when we were kids. Um, and we would, I remember watching fireworks and we, I'd go, ooh, and he'd go, ah when those would go off. So I love them, but Della, who's my youngest, she's two and a half, she does not like loud noises. So hopefully next she year... she her ears and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Aww. So hopefully next year um, we'll be able to go to the fireworks. And then, yeah, Eileen, one of the really loud booms, woke her up, and she walked around the house like su- super disoriented. So hopefully oh, next year... Yeah, hopefully... I think she was like half asleep, half awake. So hopefully next year we'll be ready for fireworks. You need to house. get them those like ear muffy, kind of like when you go to a gun range well, or whatever, yeah, when you I shoot, mean, so, you put the muffs on. Yeah. Well, for us, we were just a little, they were in bed, so. They were just sleeping. Yeah, we didn't do. go to bed. So next year. Next Next year when Della's three and a half, I think we'll be ready to tackle fireworks. All right. So if you want, I'll get my brother. (laughs) I'll ask him to come over. Okay. Cool. I'll just be like, hey, Pete. um, So I have a question for you, though. Okay. If, if, okay. So, you know, I have a couple here, but if there was ever a show. Okay, so what is it? 2017. A TV show mm-hmm. that you could be, and they did a replay, and they cast you, and okay. you get to be the actor in place of one of the other actors that was on that show, but it can't be anything currently running. can't be like Game of Thrones or nothing like that. Okay. A past show, what actor, what's the show that you yeah. would want to be in, and yeah. what actor would you want to play their role? Okay, so I would totally want to be Topanga from Boy Meets World. Really? Yeah. That's not, why? That's I don't, interesting. So I, well, because she was really pretty and she was smart. She was pretty, I mean, she didn't get in a lot of trouble. I don't know. She just seemed to have, you know, she had this guy who loved her and she loved, she had great parents. I don't I love the show Boy Meets World. But the, I guess the only problem was is I was in love with Ryder Strong, who was the guy who played Sean, who was the best friend. So maybe that wouldn't. So they could have messed up your whole world. <laughs> it could have really messed well, up. Hey, that show. rewrite. Remember, we're redoing yeah. the show. Well, so yeah, so maybe it's like she's all grown up, and she now go. she's with Sean. And it, see, and it all works in your favor. I know. Look at that. Your whole world <laughs> came together with my question. Yeah, I just reconciled I, your whole world mm-hmm. of acting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it would, it would probably that would be my first choice. Yes, that is so awesome. Yeah. Now that I would have never predicted. Yeah. That. The other one would have been like Winnie Cooper because she's also amazing. From Wonder Years? Um, was it Wonder Years? Yeah, wasn't yeah. she in Wonder Woman? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was. So a... I must just really like those brothers because, right? Those are you like the two just... brothers, right? What's going on? I don't know. Okay, that's to be revisited. I know. We're going to put that down. I know. So we have one year anniversary coming up for Uphill Conversations, yeah. and you're going to make a great plan for us <sighs> because you're really good at that stuff. <laughs> and so just letting everybody know there's going to be something wonderful coming up, yeah. and Megan's mm-hmm. going to do it. I'm totally on that. And totally on it right <clears throat> now. And um, no, but for real, one year, I'm so excited. Yeah. And it's been going really, really well. Mm-hmm. So thank you for all of you who have been listening. We hope to have something great and special, you know, to share with you at that one year point. And um, we actually want to elevate, you know, um, actually evolve the show mm-hmm. and bring some higher elevation to things that we want to do. A um, little bit more visuals, some live streams and mm-hmm. some other stuff that we want to do. But one year is coming up and hey, you're a great partner and I'm so glad that we're working together. Yeah. Megan. So thank you. Thank you for asking me to be a part of it. Well, hey, we're doing this. So we have a great guest. We do. Part two of Deb and Gino. Yeah, it was so fun for me to get to talk to her. I listened to the first podcast that you did with Deb. Um, I think she was episode number nine, so really early on. Um, and it was just really fun to talk with her. She has a great laugh. She, you can just tell she is such a wonderful person, um, a lot of you know life and joy. Um, and so it was just a really, really, really fun to have her on the show. Um, especially, you know, with what we're doing with Uphill Strategies, getting to talk with her around leadership and um, authenticity. It was just, um, it was fun. Yeah. And you were right. She was nine. Yeah. 
man, you're better at this than I am. Well, it could have been because I was in iTunes today and like the podcast oh. app and you I searched have... her. I know. Why couldn't but... you just said, I and know. And I saw it because it was one of the highest hits for Deb and Gino. It was. It was great. Mm-hmm. And you could have, but literally you could have just said, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have been it. I know. But then it would have, I would have felt like it wasn't a hundred percent truthful. But no one listening would have known that. I know. And you could have made me go, gosh, I need to learn more about the show I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Deb is like I met her um, when I went through um, actually the live certification stuff with John Maxwell team um, and just hearing her talk, hearing her teach. She's so authentic. Just a person who understands being your true, authentic self. And so we have this conversation with her about learning to lead from within Mm -hmm. and I think it's a great thing. She, you know, she's, you know, her laugh, like you said, is just great. She's just a wonderful, joy-filled individual who just believes that, you know, there is so much more to you and you can, you know, if you stop taking everything so serious Mm -hmm. and if you just realize what's important, what's not important, and really just take a few minutes of your time every day to just work on who you are, you can bring the very best out of not only yourself, but out of other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So without any further delay, let's jump into this episode with Deb in Gino. Welcome our friend Deb and Gino to our second podcast with you on Uphill Conversations. And we're so glad to have you. How are you doing and what's going on new in your world? Hey, Tim and Megan, thank you so much for having me back, man. You guys are brave. (laughs) (laughs) Takes one to know one. (laughs) That is true. You know, what's new in my world? It's it's interesting. The the summer season for me, you know, in a lot of businesses, people go into that slowdown mode, right? And they think about, you know, kind of just taking it easy, coasting a little bit. Mm -hmm. And... I love spending time outdoors. I love spending time with family and friends, and we schedule the time to do that. But I'm really blessed because I do get to work and do some of my work from being outside. So I sit out in our garden, and I have an opportunity to have the sun shining on my face, which really gets my creative juices going and really helps to elevate how I think. I mean, I guess I'm just an outdoors person. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that outdoors. Yeah, and exactly. especially where you are in your neck of the woods, it's um, you're, you're in a beautiful place for outdoors. People don't realize how much in the Northeast, like there's certain areas like you go to New Hampshire, Maine, certain places. But where you are, in, you're in, still in New York, right? I am just outside of New York City out on Long Island. Yeah. And it is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So you're in you're just that's like a wonderland. That is just like I could sit there and write a book. You know when I would want to come up there and write? So if you ever want to go ahead and get a room ready for me to <laughs> It's ready. <laughs> so I can come write. But yeah. it, it would be when it's the coldest. I want to be up there when it's cold. Nobody else is around to bother me. I want coffee. I want to sit out there. I want to be wrapped up in a sweater. I want to see that cold air moving around, you know, a little groomy or gloomy, like gloomy looking clouds, gray. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I just want to type because I'm most creative at that time. But I'm, I feel more connected because nobody else is, you know what I mean? There's not to me, there's nothing superficial. Everything's in hiding. It's like everything yes. is in a place to be rebirthed or to be reborn. So my two ideal places are New York or in Newport, Rhode Island. Those are the two oh, places beautiful. that I want to go and write one day, like spend a week and a half to two weeks and do nothing but dump air, all this stuff that's in my head. Well, wow. don't choose. Just do both. And then there have the both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, so today what we want to do is talk to you about leading from within. And I know as a leadership coach and as a person who has spent the majority of your life leading on purpose and even accidentally because you are just a leader and people just kind of say, hey, let's let's find out what Deb wants. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you know what that's like to be you, you can't help it. You're just a leader. Um, and that whole 360 concept and, and a lot of people struggle, Deb, with just the whole notion of, you know, being a recognized leader. So if we could even start from there first, from a person just saying, what if you're not recognized? You know, what do you do then when you, though, also have, you can identify a problem, 
but you're a person also that thinks about solutions. How can you start taking that with what's inside of you to see a problem, but then to start moving that even when you're not in charge and nobody has laid hands on you? Oh, that's such a great question because what struck me as you, as you were asking the question, Tim, was being a quote unquote recognized leader. I don't really think any of us are recognized as leaders. We're recognized as influencers to some degree or another. And I am clearly not recognized at all. And that's okay with me, but it always starts with recognizing ourselves and, and who we are, who we were created to be and become and how we are wired, you know, what's our unique giftedness, if you will. And that to me is where the recognition really needs to stay. That when we recognize who we are at the core, that's real recognition that everything else externally is nice to have, sometimes flattering. Sometimes it seems a little silly, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. but boy, oh boy, knowing who we are and recognizing what we can do to help serve the world, to me, that's real recognition. So, Deb, I I really like that, that idea of just knowing who you are, recognizing your potential, but kind of continuing to dig into that a little bit. You know, if you aren't the person in maybe your organization who is seen as a leader or you're not in a leadership position, but you know that you have that in you, how do you Mm -hmm. still bring that influence to the table? That's so good. You know, project managers to me are a great example of this. In most organizations, someone who wears the hat of a project manager doesn't necessarily have a team of people reporting to them at all. Typically, they are solo players in the organization, but yet they have to influence people in the organization to help contribute to a project, to help hit deadlines, to get things done. And For project managers, the best ones I've seen out there are the ones that are finding what's of value to the other person and finding a way to deliver it. Can I use an example, Megan? Yeah, please do. So I watched a project manager on a very large global scale for a $3 billion company execute a project brilliantly. Because what she did was she first went around to each of the key stakeholders and understood what was of value to them in their department. So to use an example, you know, she went into customer service and said, so what's the one thing you want to make sure that is not at risk in this project? And they said, we have to make sure we can still enter orders. So when you flip that switch to this new program, That next moment, we have to be able to get on and do order entry. That is key. It's critical for us to be able to serve our customers. And she literally went around to each of the stakeholders to understand what was of value the most to them. And then she created her project plan to satisfy the needs and the highest desire, the highest order of good for each of those individual teams. And that project in most other organizations would have failed because the project manager would have superseded (laughs) what the needs were of the organization for the greater good of having the project delivered on time or to have the project delivered according to their plan. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who don't have people necessarily reporting to us, our ability to influence people begins with learning about what's most important to them. Does that make sense, Megan? Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. I'm I'm really keyed into the story that you're relaying because in you know my my previous career, I actually was in kind of that role of uh, client services project manager. So I really like that approach of going to all the different stakeholders, not just the client, not just that end person that you're trying to satisfy, but making mm-hmm. sure that you're addressing those different challenges within the organization and then having that confidence to make sure that you're not just trying to hit a date, but you're really making sure you're doing it the right way that's going to satisfy those needs. Oh, yeah. And that's what great leaders do, don't they? They they look to see where can I contribute and serve the greater good around me <laughs> in some way. 
Right. And I love how that goes back to what you said, the, the core, you know, what, you know, who we are at the core. Mm. And so with that, knowing that what you just said, like, I'm sure it resonates with people like, oh, that's great. But it's not just a plan to execute. It's not just an idea to to just put into play. It you you need that part of that core of who you are. And knowing that that mindset, you have to develop that. You've got to develop a micro and macro. It's like micro, my job, macro, and now it includes you. You know, one, you know, as John says, you know, one's too small of a number to accomplish anything of, you know, to accomplish anything of great significance. You yes. need somebody else. You need the power of the other. So in order to really bring that influence to the table, um, you know, what are things that you would, if you were sitting with someone that does have maybe unrealized influence, and they don't recognize that part in their core. What 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 would you do to help them begin to realize that that part of it? Like that you have, you know, a bigger vision than yourself. These things mm -hmm. do matter to you. How do you help them see that rather than so in other words, don't put your execution of your job above the bigger picture. How do you help them unlock that? That's a you know, that is probably one of the biggest gifts we can give someone is to see their own potential and to help them to seize it. Because once we help them to see where they could be or where they're headed or what their real upside potential is. And generally speaking, you know, for me, I, I love, love helping people to understand what their natural strengths are because by finding our strengths, we now know where our sweet spot is and what our giftedness is so that we can do our best work. Right. So oftentimes our potential really sort of intersects with our strengths. Hmm. Helping them to see it is the first step. But the second step is helping them to seize it, huh. to be able to find a way to take that potential and seize it, to find a way to harness it, so that they can look for opportunities where they can serve using it. See, when we know when we know who we are and how we're wired, and we when we have a heart to serve in some way, shape, or form, most of us aren't looking to just have these great strengths and keep them to ourselves. <laughs> you know, it's right. about having these great strengths and finding ways to exercise them in the world. Right. And when we help people to do those two pieces, it is key, but it always starts with understanding from within what our own area of giftedness or strengths. And you recently had a podcast you talked about in terms of genius, right? So yep. what is our natural abilities and leaning more into that? That's, that's so good. And, and that, that's encouraging, I think. And that's what people need. I love that. See it serve or sorry um you seize it and then serve using it like exactly like those are i like that s cubed <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I'm, so i'm gonna add another one simplify it Ooh, I so like it. this is one that i like megan and i literally before we hit record i do this to her often she can attest to this <laughs> but i just mind dump a whole bunch of stuff and i had um i was supposed to have three today but i did two coaching sessions with one of our clients um and they're you know they're a, a, a great company they they serve the community well but we're really helping their leaders and one of the things that i noticed is that people over complicate leading from within yeah. and they overcomplicate it by overthinking it. That, so that's like an immediate thing. You're, you're making this too difficult. In other words, when you need simple math, why are you focusing on an algebraic equation? Why are you doing that? What do you feel like that's the prize or is simple math not enough for you? So how do you help people keep it simple so that they can really actualize or self-actualize that leadership? Well, you know, for a lot of us, and think about how you and Megan started this podcast, right? So you had an intentionality about what you wanted to do. 
and helping to challenge people to see, are you just telling me you want to do this or are you really intentional that you're willing to do what it takes to make this happen? You know, you're willing to sort of risk failing a little bit to have, to have the ability to exercise that strength that you do have. And for a lot of people, it's a decision. It's, it's stepping out and saying, I'm willing to risk failing and maybe occasionally looking a little foolish to try this, to, to move from this spot to the next spot, to see what, you know, deep down inside, when I go to the core of who I am, when I take the time to really focus in on that, I can find ways that I can use it, but am I really intentional about doing it or does it seem a nice to have? It's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, trying to be on a diet, right. Or, or, uh, a food program. Right. Right. <laughs> You're right. So it's, we can buy the food, we can go to meetings, we can, you know, know, be an expert in that area. But if we're not utilizing it, that knowledge is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. We might as well pour into our brain knowledge about something else that we are willing to use mm -hmm. because deep down inside, we know it, whether or not we're fulfilling something that makes us feel good or something that just makes us feel mediocre and average. Wow. What do you do when you just feel mediocre and average? Well, it's funny. I always talk about that. You, we find our confidence in our competence. Hmm. So when we feel those moments where we're feeling like an imposter, like, or there's nothing we can do well, <laughs> mm -hmm. getting out there and taking something that from within that we really are, we know that we're really good at this one thing and getting out there and just doing it helps us to feel more confident because we're doing something that we are gifted in. Uh, I had a, a client a couple of years ago and one of the areas that she was naturally gifted in was the creative arts. I mean, this just, a she could paint, she could sing, she could dance. It was like, you know, they talk about the triple threat. Yeah, she was a triple threat. <laughs> I was about to say yeah. triple threat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She was everything. And every now and again, especially in the performing arts, there's a lot of rejection. There mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. is. And she was bumping up into a season of her career where she was just getting no, 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 no. So what she did was she took her natural abilities and she served a local dance academy and didn't even, wasn't even looking for a salary. Just said, Hey, you know, I have a little spare time on my hands. I'm happy to come in and volunteer with the kids, you know, once a month and teach them how to do this certain step. And by doing that and seeing that the children were learning and seeing them seeing that she was a rock star in that area, she started to feel better about herself so that the next time when she went into her next audition, she was a much more confident person in front of the director. And that for her really made such a big difference in her ability to be able to execute and feel good about what she was doing to the point where when she still got a no occasionally mm -hmm. that she realized it didn't devalue her. It just meant that she wasn't the right match for that role at that time. But it didn't mean that her deep down inside, she didn't have this air of giftedness because she kept getting it validated over and over and over again by those children. And I think that that's a great it's a great way to make sure that you're staying aligned and and I love that idea of going out and finding new and different ways that you can build that confidence. So one thing that and I'm I'm gonna maybe go a little bit sideways here, but you, you're talking about this idea of you know having this natural gift and then really saying okay I know myself and I know my strengths and. So maybe you're starting a new job or you're in a new position, even within the company you've already been with. I think all of us, like you mentioned, we we have that tendency towards, you know, that imposter syndrome. And I think that you talk about leading from within and you go in confident, you have these ideas, you know what you want to do, you know where you're headed. But sometimes when you get into an organization they all have their own cultures and they all have their own ways of doing things. So how do you ensure that 
as you are working towards something within a company and really trying to use that influence, that you don't lose yourself and your true authenticity as you're leading people and trying to acclimate to that culture. So how, how do you make sure that you stay connected and you don't give way to that imposter syndrome? Boy, that... I have to tell you, I have such a, a an example of that piece. Ye, uh, years ago, oh my gosh, probably now thirty years ago, just shows how old I am. <laughs> I was, I had my first big job. This was like my first really big Kahuna job that I was kind of excited about because I had gotten hired to become the customer service manager of what was then a fifty million dollar company. And when I and I got placed there by an agency. So about a week into the job, the agency called me just to do kind of a check-in, you know, how's it going? How are you liking what you're doing? And the, the, when the agency called, I told the recruiter, I said, I hate it here. Oh my gosh. I am not the right person. She said, tell me what you mean. And I started to share with her, you know, here's what they're saying and here's what they're doing, but here's how, you know, you know, how, how I'm acting. And, and I was being very, uh, different. I was not congruent with who I knew myself to be. I was trying to fit into what I thought their culture was and what I thought they hired. Mm -hmm. And I was too, I was very young and I really didn't know strongly enough who I was and what I stood for and what my style was. I was still kind of developing my style. And the recruiter gave me some golden advice. She said to me, well, she said, you know, you could give up. She goes, you know, we'll, we'll, we could find another job. It's not, that's not the issue. She said, but I wonder what would happen if you just allowed yourself to bring yourself to the job instead of trying to mold yourself into what you think they want, which is causing so much stress, stress and tension for you. Why not just be Deb, the best version of Deb? And they'll either love that or they won't but at least you'll be satisfied that you're not trying to be something or someone that you're not. That is, that is powerful because so many people get caught up in that conundrum of it causes them to question themselves because then you can maybe take on an alternate version of who you really are. You can literally put on a different mask. Like you become someone else and that's not going to help you in the long run. Mm -mm. So you may be able to please the employer or you know, make mm -hmm. everyone around you happy, but you're not. And I tell people all the time, happiness is temporary. Joy lasts. Mm -hmm. So when you go to work, you may be happy with the activities and things that are happening, but a lot of people build their lives. Like, so imagine you're building a house, right? And so I just had this conversation with Megan. So my little brain takes off into these illustrations. And so I try mm -hmm. to take, I try to take pieces of what I see and try to communicate them sometimes better than others. But a lot of times uh, people's lives look like take a house, say you have blueprints for a, you know, 2000 square foot, 3000 square foot house, whatever size you want, but they take these little happiness pieces and they're all broken. It's like taking apart stained glass and then spreading them apart, but none of them really touch. Yeah. And so how do you build on that? You can't. Mm -hmm. That's not a foundation. So right. joy, though, is the combination of all of those things that are allowed to bond and bind themselves to each other. So happiness is it was great. When I left, it's gone. That's it. But joy mm -hmm. is the thing that pops up tomorrow or the next day. It's the thing that allows you to build upon it, right? I give you I give you $100,000, you're happy, right? But mm -hmm. the joy is in the fact that your friend gave you $100,000, believes in you, invested in you. You see what I mean? That's the joy part of the journey. Well, it's the same yeah. thing what you're saying. Like, unless you are you, how do you actually have joy that sustains you? Well, exactly. Because joy comes from our participation in that circumstance, not from the external piece that when we become congruent with who we are and we put ourselves out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we allow people to see, Hey, this is how I lead. This is how I communicate. And I hope this is okay with you. Cause I just want to serve you. Well, the people that it resonates with 
you will find joy in working with them or being friends with them or loving on them because they allow you to be part of that equation. Wow. So what do you, how do you help people? So there are those that are listening right now that that's what they feel like. They leave the best part of themselves at the front door or even it could be in a friendship. It could be at a job. It could be in anything, a relationship. A lot of people leave the best part of them at the front door. How do you help people to know the importance of the unique version of your true authentic self. And it's okay that it's not perfect yet. <laughs> it's actually important that we recognize that we're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Start there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Forever. <laughs> Step one. Right? It's like first admit you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? I don't have a problem. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think, Here's here's what I found to be true, and, and it was true in that job, and it's still true today. First of all, I need to understand more about the people that I'm there to, you know, be friends with or work with or love on, you know, depending on the relationship. And I need to understand who they are and what their sensitivities are or what might be most important for them. Go back to that project manager. When that project manager went stakeholder by stakeholder to say, What's the most important thing you want me to know that you're most concerned about with this project and satisfied that need. Now every department was thrilled when that project manager walked in the door and that project manager was able to influence those, those depart that department and the project. And the same is true in our other relationships. When we, we know who we are, but we have to also see who is that other person and what do they need to hear from me at that moment? What would be of highest value to them? You know, I had a sister-in-law who back in 2010, after seven years of battling cancer, um, became terminal. And on, from, a, from, a, from a strength standpoint, I am not the most compassionate person in the world. <laughs> I really am not. You know, like I, I just had surgery about eight weeks ago. And it was emergency surgery. And the surgeon said to me, she said, were you not in pain? And I said, you know, I felt some like a discomfort, but yeah. <laughs> I just kind of suck it up and, you know, do right. what I need to do. Yep. All right. And, and so, so that sort of extends out to the rest of the world that I typically am not sort of very, um, nurturing when it comes to you're not feeling well. Okay. No bedside manner. <laughs> so, in other words, yeah, you're you're doing what you need to do. You're not you're not trying to pretend to be somebody else, like a doctor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But when she was ill, you would have thought I was Florence Nightingale. Oh. I crawled into bed with her. We just spoke and laughed and sung together and told stories and loved on each other. And it was because my heart was so to where she was at that moment. So honoring who we are trying to influence is really important. So we mm. bring the best of ourselves from what's within us. And then we look at what's within that other person and we try to see where can we have that convergence happen so that we are both focused on honoring each other. But it always starts if we're the leader, it always starts with us looking at that other person first. And I think that that's so important, that whole idea of bringing it back kind of to the, the leading from within and really knowing who you are, but also looking, like you said, into what the needs of the other person are. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about this because, you know, for me, I know, you know, I'm naturally inclined to be that person who, if somebody says, you know, who can help lead this group, I'm, I'm the one who will raise my hand. So when you're that type of personality, you know, if you are naturally inclined to lead a situation, how do you consciously become more of a participant in a situation and really step aside and allow other people to shine and let them lead? Mm. <laughs> Boy, that's a whole program in and of itself. Because <laughs> and you can, right, you can go to strengthleaders.com. <laughs> exactly. And Deb exactly. has one of those up there. So those of you listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, to some degree, it does. It definitely is impacted by how we're wired, right? Mm -hmm. And what our strengths and communication style is. The other thing is, 
you know, this was a, a, a life lesson for me that in order for me to be a good leader, I had to learn to be a good follower. Mm-hmm. And that was a tough thing for someone with a very aggressive personality style <laughs> because I always thought, you know, if you're not in the front pack, you know, what does the rest really matter? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I, I, I got under the leadership of some really great folks and I looked at the people who were the most successful people out there in the world. And even if I didn't know them personally, I wasn't in their space personally, I watched how they wove themselves in and out of that key leadership role, depending on the situation mm-hmm. and depending on how could they get the best result. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was in Germany back in, oh God, this is like the early 2000s. And we were opening up an office there. This is when I was in my corporate career. I was flying all around the world by that point. I was the vice president of global operations. and I was creating startup teams in all these different countries. And in the country of Germany, we had to very quickly put together a team. And I'll never forget meeting with a construction um, executive, so to speak, in Germany, just outside of Munich. And he comes walking into the building and I'm there with a brand new employee who had worked for us now at this point, about 72 hours. And he was going to be our translator. And when the gentleman walked in and I started talking and Peter started translating for me, the construction guy said, when is the boss showing up? Oh man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Did you, did you, how long did it take him to get you off the ceiling? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Exactly. You guys know me. I, I was born and raised in the Bronx, till, Bronx, New York, till I was 18. You talking to me? Very <laughs> impressive personality, and I'm Italian. Like, yeah. it doesn't get, that's a trifecta, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to imagine myself in that situation right now. Right. So I was faced, this was a big, this was one of the biggest leadership lessons in something that I'm so proud I made the right decision at that moment because it could have gone either way. I instantly, my, my blood pressure was starting to boil and I looked over at Peter and I said, okay, Peter, you're going to make like you're the boss and I'm just your secretary assistant from the U.S. And I'm going to tell you what you need to tell the guy and let's just move this forward. Now, Peter worked for me for all of three days at that point and he looked at me and said, I cannot do that. <laughs> oh, God. Well, Peter, I don't want you to have to do it, but it's the only way we're going to get this meeting done. Mm-hmm. So let's move it, you know? And I made like I was the secretary, and Peter made like he was the boss, and the meeting went fine, and we got what we needed from, you know, from this guy hitting deadlines, and they did a great job. But it was a life lesson for me in leadership on sometimes, even if you are the person in charge, Stop telling everybody you're the person in charge. The person in charge or the person with the greatest level of influence is the person who's getting the result, not the person that has the title or the fancy office or make sure that the world knows who they are because the world didn't need to know what, you know, what my title was. It was irrelevant. I needed to make sure that we had the offices built out at a certain date. That was it. (laughs) Right. And, and I love that because the, the image I get is that it's more rewarding to still get things done, see the impact for the overall outcome that you're supposed to be working on, see other people's lives empowered, whether they totally get the picture or not, just to see other people, the value don't stop progress all because you need to be quote unquote recognized Mm -hmm. by you recognizing it within yourself. And seeing that, hey, I can adjust. What's Mm -hmm. it matter if this guy even wants to recognize me as the boss? Even if they were, even if it was told in advance, she's the boss, you need to listen to her. And he's like, well, I want to talk to someone else. Does that even matter? And I feel like there's too much importance, once again, put on the wrong things, right? So, so putting them on the right things, getting your mind. And changing your mindset, changing your point of view to look at things from a different angle so that you can still accomplish everything that you hope to accomplish. And just because you do that doesn't mean everyone goes along, right? That's right. So in your case, it worked out. You were able to get it done. Let me ask you this, okay? We have a few more questions for you, but let me ask you this one. What do you do when 
you know, you want to lead from permission. You're leading from within. You're involved. You're using influence. You know who you are. You're doing all that stuff. But then people just resist. And mm-hmm. you're brought down to a point where do I want to continue doing this or not? Do I want to continue to lay myself, my gifts, my talents, my well-being, actually? Because, you know, it's not being, and I'm not talking about a person that just, you know, they didn't like the color I chose for that wall. You know, I'm not talking about Mm -hmm. that kind of petty junk. I'm just talking about just the real thing, like you put your time in it, just getting to the point. How do you help people get to the point when they know it's time for them to walk away? Oh, yeah. You know, it depends. Obviously, it does depend to some degree on what is that relationship, right? So if it's an employee of mine, and uh, no matter what I've done, they are a resistor, (laughs) you know, they're just digging their heels in and and sort of just clearly um, trying to work around me as much as possible. It usually means that they're also wired as a more aggressive personality and finding something that they are gifted in and giving up some authority to them once they become a proven commodity and letting them know, hey, listen, I have no problem making you the decision maker on X, but here's what it's going to take to make that happen. And if they are still resistant after that, then it's, you know, they need to be replaced and go on to pursue other interests that are more aligned to be true to who they are (laughs) Mm -hmm. and take them off the team as quickly as possible. So, for a lot of leaders, what we do, though, is we try to rehabilitate people who don't want to be rehabilitated. Wow, that's, we try to, that's like running mm-hmm. intervention for someone who won't admit. Like you said, the first thing is yeah. admit you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And exactly. if, if they don't want to change, if they don't want to, then that's a you're, you're spinning your wheels. Exactly. So, you know, save your energy and time to focus on those that want to be developed further, that those people that are cooperative. Because here's what I know for sure. The people who are on our teams that have a values match, they value what we value. They look to serve people the way we look to serve people in some way, shape, or form. It may look different or sound different, but at the core of it, that core value of who we are in our gut, they resonates with them. They're not offended by it. They actually get excited by that. Those are the people we want to invest the time in to develop them and their leadership abilities so that the proudest moment as a leader is kind of like the proudest moment as a parent. It's when, you know, when our children sort of graduate or hit a new accomplishment in their lives, we're proud moms and dads. And that's a great thing. Well, the same is true as leaders. The proudest moment in my life is the leaders that are scattered now all around the world that I have been blessed to have the opportunity to mentor that, to me, that's better than just me being a leader because now I've expanded my reach and influence so that ripple effect exponentially can help create a wave across the globe at some point so that there are more and more people that are being touched by someone who comes at them from a leadership mentality rather than just being a boss. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a great that's just a great principle in general is really taking the time to focus on those people who have the gifts that you can continue to help elevate and are those people that you see that potential in. I mean, it's it's the whole thing about rather than focusing on the all your energy on the poor performers, make sure that you're spending time with those high level people in your company and really helping to continue to bring them up because they're gonna you know have such wonderful impact on your business. And so don't just focus on the poor performers and forget about them because those you need those people and they're so important. So I think that's great. And can I just share one last strategy that I just think every leader should employ? Absolutely. Yes, yes please do. You know, as it's very, it's very easy for us to sort of look at leadership as it's a me and me deal. And it starts within, it starts within us. But if it only stays within us, that's good because we're at least leading ourselves. But if we can help other people to sort of catch that fire too and have it start within them and let them now sort of share that flame with the next person, that as a leader, those moments when someone comes back to us and says, hey, you know, you taught me this or 
I saw you model that and here's how it's impacted my leadership walk. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the most precious conversations, cards, emails, phone calls that any leader can have. So if someone has been that in your life, I would just so encourage leaders to take the time this week and write that card, make a phone call, send them a message that they know the impact on how they've helped to influence your walk as a leader and showing a leader how you've applied what they've shown you is the highest form of flattery. Thank you so much. That's great. I love, I love that. And I think that, um, that is such an important thing to make sure that you, you do share that because I think so many of us, we have mentors and we have these people who've impacted us so strongly in our lives that we know, but we haven't circled back with them to say, Hey, thank you so much for this that you gave to me that maybe at the time I didn't even recognize was so powerful, but has had this significant impact on my life and my career since then. So I, I think that that's great. And, and I thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, so we have a question that we really like to ask um, our guests. So Deb, what are three things that you're optimistic about over the next 12 months? Oh, wow. Gosh, only three I can share? <laughs> three. You can't, Holy you can't have ten. You get three. You got to try really hard to narrow it down. <laughs> wow. We're not putting well, you on the spot. We're just putting you on the spot. <laughs> I, I love, listen, that's okay. You know, I would say that the three that have just jumped out into my mind is the first thing is no matter who we are and no matter how much we failed, we absolutely have an area of giftedness that once we connect to that, I have seen people change their lives dramatically. I'm very optimistic that the more people we can get that message to, the more this hurting world <laughs> will be so much better. I think the second thing that I'm very optimistic about is the fact that when we're early on in our careers or our lives, in our leadership walk, we don't know how the story is going to play out. And, and sometimes seemingly impossible circumstances seem like it will be an obstacle. But in the long run, those obstacles end up becoming a springboard. It's just a matter of hanging in there long enough. And for me, I am so thrilled to know that I've learned that lesson. So now when other obstacles come my way, I'm like, okay, can't wait to see how this is going to be used. Okay. I know this is going to lead to something great. And then I would say the third thing that I'm so optimistic about is that for the first time in a long, long time, People have stopped using the word management. It used to drive Yay! me crazy. <laughs> you know? And the the word leadership is really starting to become much more prevalent than it was decades ago. And that is such a good thing because I know. <laughs> it's an elevated view of how to get results. And that to me right there, if the entire world focused on leadership rather than management in every relationship work and otherwise, it would just make life a more beautiful thing. Well, you know, we're, um, uh, Megan and I, we just both came from, um, our client that we're working with. And one of the things that we told them, and we had to tell the owner this, we would like to strike the word manager from your vernacular. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like oh, yeah. literally we said, and they were like, Okay. <laughs> and we were like, so we can call them leader managers because yep. you don't manage people. You lead people. You manage systems and processes. Exactly. So you're a leader manager. <laughs> like, yes. so, so I love it. And it's funny because when you're talking to one of their leadership people, they'll go, well, in my position as a manager, and they stop and they go, I mean, leader. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so th it's starting to click. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're it's amazing how they're looking at their role and their great? responsibilities. Mm -hmm. It totally is. It's, it's yeah. so, so, Deb, I'm with you. Your number three is like, yay. <laughs> so you guys are hearing, we, we believe leadership is leadership. You can manage stuff. You can manage your finances. You can manage all these other things, right? 
But don't yes. try to, how about lead your children? Don't try to manage them. Lead them. Mm-hmm. Your child doesn't want a manager. They want a leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <It's> absolutely <laughs> you know, true. I'm, absolutely. I'm so on board with you. Oh, my gosh. See, I'm giving you a hug from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my last question for you before we go. Um, you know, the show is Uphill Conversations. Anything worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. But uphill is a challenge, like Tour de France. You see these guys riding those bikes. They give them a, they give them that that yellow jersey for climbing that hill, shifting gears. All they have to do to endure these hills, right, in the Tour de France, right. So the show wasn't started because of the Tour de France because I do not cycle. That's not even what it is. <laughs> but I do know how tough it is to go uphill, and and but it's okay. It's the joy. It's that journey of it. I would like you to tell the listeners, share with them, be open about something that a recent uphill challenge that you had that you didn't like all of a sudden turn around and go back downhill. Oh boy. That's, I actually had one happen. Well, a a really significant one that happened last week in particular. Here's, here's what happened last uh, week. I was scheduled to do a teaching call uh, for about 14,000 people. And it was a live call. And I had plenty of time to come from my client appointment to get back to my office to do the call. Except th- I was stuck between exits on the Long Island Expressway because of a major accident. Mm. And there was no way to get off. There was literally no way to get off. It, the accident just happened. You know, emergency services was there. Police were there. And literally you couldn't move. And I ended up scrambling around by phone and got somebody to open up the call for me on their computer and then pipe me in by telephone so I could at least start that teaching call. And the entire time I was feeling this level of inadequacy Mm. that this is this call is a train wreck. This is horrible. And I feel bad for the people that have been in this accident. I hope everybody's okay. But boy, this is not helping me today, you know? Right. And it was, it was the entire time I was doing that call, I kept saying, this is now officially the worst call I've ever done. Like (laughs) congratulations to me. I've now hit a low, you know, a really new low. And so that was at noontime and I finished the call. I got off the phone and I just, sat there with myself thinking, how do I turn this around? Because I had another call. I was leading with a group of entrepreneurs across North America at four o'clock. And I did the best I could to regroup. I pull up, oftentimes when I'm in that lull, I'll pull up letters and cards and notes from people to just remind me that there is some level of giftedness there. Right, (laughs) uh, right. I got on that four o'clock call and I launched into to the material that I had and I asked my first question in the group and it was crickets. <laughs> no one responded. And of course, my brain, which we are all wired very similarly in this way, this imposter syndrome said, you see, they know that you suck. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> right? So I keep going on with the call and then people started talking, yada, yada. I get off the call and one of the gals who was on that, on that webinar called me, she's a friend of mine. And she said, you know, she said, I've just had the worst day today. She said, I'm really trying to get myself through it. She goes, then I see you on this webinar and you're doing such a great job teaching and I've learned so much through you. How do you do it? And I called her and I said, (laughs) I've had the worst day (laughs) as well. I said, and here's what happened in my brain. When I asked this question and no one answered, I said, here's where my brain went. And she said to me, you just gave me a gift because you allowed me to see transparently that you and I go through the exact same thing. Wow. Wow. And that I think as leaders, a lot of times we want to be perfect when instead we should just focus on connecting. <laughs> that is great. And and Deb, that's why we exist with in our leadership, our lives, I feel, and just mm-hmm. why our podcast exists, exists, Uphill Conversations. Deb, yeah. thank you so much for all you do, the way you serve this world, the way, um, and, and, I, and I admire you. I think I tell you that all the time, and we just appreciate you, and you add value to our lives. Well, you guys are doing a mighty work, and I am 
just honored to pieces to be able to, you know, be on your show and keep doing what you're doing because you guys are pretty darn impressive. <laughs> I just love watching what's going on. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember you can be more, do more, and have more. Anything worth having is uphill. However, you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. And most importantly, you will see myself, Megan, and Deb on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.